Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, March 5th. For some time now, big luxury brands, including Chanel, Gucci, and Louis Vuitton, have been reticent about the luxury resale sector, steering clear of the growing market for secondhand goods. But in recent months, the cold relationship has begun to thaw somewhat as more fashion brands begin to experiment with resale and strike partnerships with key resale players like The Real Real and Vestiaire Collective. But this week, things in the luxury resale sector took a really big step forward. Good morning, business. French take. Paris-based luxury resale startup Vestiaire Collective announced that it had raised a new 178 million euro financing round led by Tiger Global and Caring, one of the largest luxury groups in the industry and owners of Gucci, Saint Laurent, Balenciaga and Alexander McQueen, among others. Though Caring's new stake ultimately amounts to only a 5% stake in Vestiaire Collective, as our Paris-based correspondent Robert Williams reported in his BOF professional analysis on the transaction, it is the strongest signal yet that the luxury sector is finally realizing it has little choice but to engage with secondhand marketplaces that are selling their goods. I spoke to Vestiaire Collective CEO Max Bittner to get his take on what has changed over the last year that has motivated luxury industry leaders like Caring to finally dip their toes into the fast-growing resale market. I think it's not just Caring. I think it's the whole industry has made a dramatic shift over the last six to 12 months in being much more open towards secondhand. I think it's very important to clarify that. I think if I look at the last two years since I joined, the conversations we were having two years ago have nothing to do with the conversations we had even last week before the announcement of the deal and the investment of of caring. Noticing that this is not a short-term trend, this is something consumers are looking for, this is something especially young consumers are expecting from the brands they want to endorse. Yeah. So, so I think both us and the brands are, are just realizing that consumers expect this in some sort of way. And if you think about why that has happened is, is obviously consumers are much more focused on sustainability, but I think the luxury players have just realized that we're not really a competitor. We're not really trying to take market share from them, but, exactly the opposite. We're actually paying homage to luxury by having these wonderful products be for sale at, at real value after six, 12 you know, months or five, six, seven, 10 years. Yeah. Again, many products we're talking about are expensive products in the primary market, but you have to think about what these products have as a residual value after six, 12, 18 months or two, three, four years, it's pretty striking. I mean, it's very predictable. I always joke to people, you know, why, why does a BMW cost double the price 
than a Peugeot, apart from the fact that it's a German car versus a French car, which is, of course, you know, very fun for me as a German being in Paris. The reason behind that is, is the resale value. BMW has an extremely predictable resale value, much more than a Peugeot has. And I think that's what we do. We pay homage by showing that these brands, you know, have an incredible residual value. They're assets, they're not consumables. And what we're doing and why we think what we do is not just reselling beautiful products, but also really changing consumers' behavior is by highlighting the fact that these brands are much more long-lasting, their value doesn't go away, they're more durable. I mean, this is real craftsmanship that, that we quite often forget about. It's not just brands with big logos on top of them, it's, it's real craftsmanship. And we believe that we actually help convince people to trade up in some sort of way. You know, so instead of buying a first-hand Michael Kors bag, you're buying a second-hand Gucci bag. Instead of buying a first-hand Louis Vuitton bag, maybe you're buying a second-hand Chanel. Instead of buying a first-hand Chanel, you're buying a second-hand Hermes. All the consumers along all different purchasing classes are, are basically trading up and being able to afford something which is might slightly more expensive than what they used to afford because they are aware and they're smart about reselling it afterwards if they stopped using it. Yeah, And I think that's when you think about the sustainability and the circularity part is really around extending the life cycle of products. You know, we all know we consume too much and the only way we can stop consuming so much is repair, re reuse, recycle. So the key is to take better care of the products and the, the key is to extend the, the usage and the life cycle of these products. And what we've really seen, we've done a lot of work here because we also want to challenge ourselves. And, you know, some of your colleagues have been very tough on me in the past saying, isn't resale fueling more consumption? And we've actually kind of reflected on that. We've done some work with BCG. And what we see is firstly, 85% of our customers, when they use us, they want to buy less, but buy better. And 70% say, because they are aware of secondhand, they treat their products much better. So it's basically, again, repair, you reuse the cycle, which are the pinnacles of sustainability. So I can understand, given all of the forces that you've mentioned thus far, why the sector is gaining more attention from these big players, but it's a completely different matter for caring to work and collaborate with you and you know, for its brands to you know, work with your new brand approved list and some of these other things that you've launched. It's another for caring to take a direct financial stake in your business, which as an entrepreneur, as I know is not something you take lightly because you're thinking about what's the investor's motivations, what's the long-term play here, both for the investor and the company. What do you think was the motivation for caring to take that additional step and say, no, not only do we want to collaborate and work with Vestier Collective, we want to invest in Vestier Collective? I obviously don't want to speak for them, but the interaction I have had with them over the last two years, admittedly, when I joined Vestier, I reached out to most players in the industry just to be polite and introduce myself. And I spoke to Grégory Boutet, who's the chief digital officer, you know, almost two years ago now to this day. And I just had an incredibly constructive and open relationship and dialogue with him. I've been very open about where I want to take the business, where I saw the opportunity of, of partnering with the ecosystem. You know, if you think about sustainability, there's no second hand without first hand. So, you know, I never came in and said, we want to replace everyone. And I really have seen Caring and Gregory, especially being just very innovative, very pioneering. You know, I think they are very open towards digital and they're very open towards sustainability. So so I think they they generally care about that message that they're portraying and, and they rather have a front seat than being reactive to it. I mean, that's the way they explained it to me. And I let them kind of comment more on that. 
when we approached this fundraising round, we didn't say we need to have a big luxury strategic as an investor. You know, we did a process. We had a lot of demand. I think our business has done very well. You know, we've grown more than 100% on order volume last year. I think the team has just done a fantastic job over the last one or two years. And there was a lot of interest. And, and when we then came to the point and said, okay, who are the right partners? The discussions with Caring had continued to evolve extremely well. We started having discussions with Alexander McQueen, obviously already during the process. And I felt that uh, having a closer partnership with them just allows us to invest even more so in these more commercial partnerships, think longer term, you know, have a multi-year roadmap versus being transactional, which sometimes commercial uh, relationships can be. So so it, it just made a lot of sense, you know, and I think it's important to highlight it's not just Caring, which invested and led this round, but also Tiger Global, which is probably one of the leading tech investors out there. So I think, you know, we've been extremely fortunate to have these two amazing investors join the business. One thing that I've been thinking about, which is if some of these trends continue to play out as you highlight, meaning that big luxury brands respond to this consumer interest in secondhand sales of luxury goods, extending the life cycle of these goods, what do you think happens to the overall revenue growth of these companies, do they end up giving away in, a, in effect some of their future sales at the full price brand new first hand stage to the second hand resale stage? And therefore, in a way, does it cap the scale of the growth that they can have for their core business? No, I, I really don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I think it's exactly the opposite. I think they're opening up their business to a much bigger audience. And, and I'll get back to that in a second. Because they allow their existing consumers and potential more consumers to buy more um, because they know by buying they can resell. And that's really the way they look at us. It's, it's basically a service that they're providing to those existing luxury buyers. They look at us and saying, okay, here's Max. He provides resell as a service for us to our customer. He enables us to tell our customers, you know what, you've had this bag now for 6, 12, 18 months. Are you still using it as much? If not, why don't you just trade it in and, and we give you a store credit to buy a new one? And in some sort of way, it actually generates sales, not reduces the sales. And, and secondly, you know, we're you know, an incredible feeder for new customers. You know, we've done a lot of work on that again last year with BCG and, and, and a big part of our customers are buying the brands that they're buying on us for the first time secondhand and then afterwards consider buying them firsthand. So not only do we allow them to increase the volume um, you know, with its existing customers, but also feed them new customers. I think what this model means is more a threat to the, the brands further down the food chain, um, if I can say it like that, because brands which don't have a good resale value, I think will face a much bigger challenge. You know, Why would you buy a bag for 500 euros if the resale value is only 100 euros? why you can buy a brand for a thousand euros if the resale value is 850, you know, and, and that's really tied to the flight to quality in some sort of way. Coming back to what I said at the beginning, this allows them to grow the pie. You know, obviously luxury is also about exclusivity and, and they don't just want to grow the pie, you know, endlessly. So I think that's the way I would think about it if I'm a luxury player. So I think, you know, I don't think there's in any shape or form a, a threat to future revenue, but it, in anything, a service to their customers, an endorsement to their products and the value that their products carry. 
And, and, and hopefully we will just allow people overall to buy more durable, long lasting, you know, assets than, than just consuming for the sake of consuming. So 178 million euros raised during this round at more than a billion dollar valuation. It comes hot on the heels of a, a previous round you did in April. And I'm wondering when you're talking to the investors, you know, what did you say you needed this funding for? Like, how's it going to help, you know, accelerate your own plans and scale your business? What are, what are the primary uses of the funding? I mean, the primary uses of funding are absolutely around technology. It's about hiring more developers, more data teams and scaling those up. I mean, we're, we're a marketplace. That's a very complex business to run. And the more engineers we have, uh, the better technology we build, the more engaging our technology and our products is, the better. You know, the, you know, from our side, we think about engagement, we think about conversion rate, we think about discoverability, findability. I mean, all of this is endless. I mean, if you think about the tech team that I have today versus the tech team I had at Lazada when I left, it's still much smaller. So, so the primary use is actually building around technology and you know, what I told the investors, it's the same what I told the investors when I joined two years ago, you know, you give me another 10, 50 or 100 developers, you know, these are the three, four things I'm going to do, or in this case, more than 20 or 30 things I'm going to do. Um, and, and, you know, I, you know, me and the team have a very clear roadmap of the product and tech that we want to build over the next two, three years. Uh, and this fundraise is more about doing the same, just doing it faster, I having more people. Uh, the second part is, is, you know, we've had fantastic traction across the whole of Europe. We've had very good traction in the US. We've had traction in the, in the, in the, in the, in the countries we are already present in, in, in Asia. We've had good traction in the rest of the world, countries that, you know, we don't spend any time on. I mean, we have markets like Romania and Poland and, and Greece who are just exploding. And, and, and you know, we, we don't even have a local website. Um, both on the buyer and the seller side. So, so I think, you know, geographic expansion opening up not just from a buying side, but also from a selling side, our service is, is, is definitely the second big part. And the third one is around how can we now work together with brands to provide, you know, an innovative and pioneering way of, of working very closely together. And I think the Alexander McQueen is definitely the first example. You know, the concept that's very different to what we do today, that you can actually go into an Alexander McQueen store as a former Alexander McQueen customer, and you drop off your item and the sale assistance tells you at that moment, your product is priced at this. Do you want to trade it in? Yes, here's a store credit and you can straight away buy a new item. I mean, that's groundbreaking for the industry. And, and you know, this is not just a one-off. You know, we're still very much in, in baby step mode and, and we're learning, um, but we want to invest much more into that and, and, and build that, you know, and, and, and really rethink about the way that, that people think about consumption. So I think those are three pillars which are, um, you know, big pillars to, to invest in. You know, we're thinking about global expansion, um, you know, whether it's organic or inorganic. Um, you know, there's a lot more, you know, great technologies to think about, whether it's blockchain or, or other uh, synergistic businesses or, or categories. I mean, the, the, the spectrum of things that we could look at right now is pretty broad. And, and, and I think having, you know, what I would call some sort of a war chest is, is a good, good place to be at. Uh, at the moment. Are there any challenges, Max, in the market that, you know, as you look ahead the next five to 10 years, you know, what are the big blockers that are still slowing down the development of this market? You know, absolutely. There's, there's big blockers. I mean, you know, if you think about a platform like ours, we're defined by, by the liquidity that we provide for buyers and for sellers. So, so anything that blocks the liquidity 
is something that we need to remove over time. And, and, and blockers can be anything from the cost of a transaction, um, you know, I, the shipping costs. It can be the lack of trust that customers still have in buying a secondhand item. It can be uh, the ability to find products that are the right size for you. Uh, in secondhand, you know, obviously if you go into the store, even if you go online, you know, one brand sells a certain amount of items, you know, at this brand, this size is always the same way. If you come to a platform like ours, which is secondhand, you know, which is global, different sizes, different uh, locations, you know, not everyone uses the same metrics. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of blockers. And I think if you think about, you know, all the things that we want to invest in on the knowledge side is to, to remove these blockers. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I would be very scared if, if I stood here today and I would tell you there's no challenges in the next five to 10 years, because if there are no challenges, you know, anyone could come into the space and just muscle in. And, and, you know, I like having some complexity in the business. That means that not everyone can do it. So, so absolutely, there are lots of blockers and, and, and that's a good thing because, you know, that, that means we still have a long way to go until we unlock those trillion plus items lying in people's closets. So that's the big thing is to unlock that inventory that's sitting in all of our closets all around the world to, to kind of I mean I would love I would love to I would love to you know have an insight into Imran's closet and, and know you know what is in there what's being used what's not being used you know what's been lying in there you know left alone sad for months or years on end I would love to be able to tell you you know Imran your wardrobe is worth 10,000 20,000 maybe it's much more I don't know no one will ever know but I think if I, the more understanding I have, and there's many ways for me to get access to this information, you know, is, is I can encourage you to upload products, even if you don't want to sell them, you know, we can work together with partners and, and creating what I would call a digital wardrobe. And, and there's many ways for me to start engaging with you then. I mean, one of the most fascinating stats I've ever heard was a senior, I think it was the CEO of one of the biggest banks in Singapore. He asked me at the time, how often do people check their current account balance on their banking app. And I, you know, I, I was like three, four times a month, you know, why would anyone want to check their current account balance? I mean, it's your salary and it's your spending. I mean, it doesn't change that dramatically. And he was like, no, Max, four times a day. And that's what I call engagement. I mean, if you can create an excitement and gamification around that, I think there's a long, long way to go. And I think that's how you really make people realize what value is lying in their wardrobe. And whether you're rich or you're poor, that doesn't really matter. I mean, no one is just lying, having cash lying in their wardrobe unused. You know, everyone likes investing it or putting it in a bank or putting it in a stock market or blockchain, you know, or, or, or Bitcoin these days. You know, and I think it's the same with the wardrobe. Why would you, you know, have an expensive bag lying in your wardrobe completely unused if you can monetize it and, and put that money into better use. And I think that's really the, the vision that, that we're working towards. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Okay. Last question. Uh, kind of going back to what we talked about at the beginning. This is a big deal for Vestir Collective. You know, it makes you, I know I kind of hate this word, but it does make Vestir Collective like the fashion industry's newest unicorn with a valuation greater than a billion dollars. And you've invested personally in this, in this company. So you have, you know, your own skin in the game, as they say, do you think Karen could be a potential acquirer one day? Is this, is this a, like a, a line to an exit? Have you thought that far ahead? Where does this go from here? I have not thought that far ahead, but but I can give you the answer. I really do not want to sell Vestia. I mean, I've sold my previous company, Lazada, to Alibaba, and uh, you know, and I still regret it to this day. I think there's nothing more fulfilling than than continuously to to build and and, and create great companies, especially when they're so mission driven than than Vestier. There's a lot of talk about sustainability, but I think you don't meet anyone at Vestiaire who doesn't fundamentally believe in what we're doing. 
and we're incredibly tough on ourselves and on where we're not holding us to our own high standards, that kind of an opportunity to build such a business doesn't come very often. And again, I, I built a similar company like this before and, and selling it even to this day, an incredibly bittersweet experience and that I don't want to go through. So, so I don't see any reason to sell. I mean, you know, we're all having way too much fun. This investment is not to, to set up a sale in the future. Absolutely not. Well, maybe caring has something else in mind, but I guess only time will tell. But thank you for taking time out of what I know has been a very, very busy week for you to break down the thinking behind this deal. Thank you so much for taking the time. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. While Max may not be ready to sell the company just yet, Caring may have other intentions. When a strategic investor like Caring takes a stake in a high-profile startup in a disruptive new industry segment, there is clearly a lot more than financial returns at play. To get the other side of the story, I spoke to Robert Williams, our Paris-based correspondent who covered this story for BOF this week, to better understand Caring's long game, how some of the other big players may engage in the luxury resale sector, and the challenges that may lie ahead. I think the most important thing at this stage is that, you know, they're getting their foot in the door. They're getting a seat at the table because this sector is so controversial and it seems to have so much potential in ways that could be quite positive for fashion, but also perhaps quite problematic. I think the biggest priority for them is, you know, to have this visibility on what's going on as well as, you know, a bit of influence and hopefully be able to steer in what direction this is going. You mentioned that Caring has put in at least $50 million. Um, How we know that is that they have disclosed that it's around a 5% stake. And we have Maximilian now telling us that the company is valued above $1 billion. So that is a pretty significant investment. I can understand why it's going to be seen as a vote of confidence in just how important and how promising this space might be. I don't think it necessarily means that the luxury industry's position to Ward resale is set to completely thaw. Um, We heard Maximilian talking about how at a McQueen store in the future, you might be able to just come in with your products and hand them over in exchange for store credit. You know, we don't know that the partnership is going to go that deep. For the moment, the brand is just reaching out to certain key clients that they know have an archive that would be interesting to sell. But Caring's long game, if we were to see how it could be extended to different brands in their portfolio, one thing that's going to be interesting is how this could influence how the brands are perceived on a resale site. A site like Vestiaire Collective, part of why it's fun for users, but a bit problematic for the luxury brands, is that products are coming to the site in all kinds of conditions, being presented in all sorts of ways. If the brands start to have more sway and start to populate the site with things that they approve of, that the items they find are fashionable, that have been photographed in a way they like, that are priced in a way they like, they start to find to claim real estate on the resale sites for that. I think that could be very positive for them. That's super interesting. So I just wanted to dive a bit deeper on one of the things you said, you said that this is potentially a controversial or problematic part of the emerging part of the retail ecosystem in luxury. Why is that? Well, I think from the very beginning, the luxury brands have been able to see how resale could kind of erode the control over distribution and perception of their brands, which they have built up over decades. If you look at a brand like Christian Dior since the 1980s, 
they have been discontinuing any kind of regional license agreement. They have been discontinuing partnerships with department stores or wholesalers to arrive at a place where the only place you can buy Dior and be sure that it's not counterfeit is at the Dior store. That's what they would want you to believe. And now with Vestiaire Collective, lots of people are posting items which are clearly genuine Christian Dior. And the brand has to say, well, how do we navigate that? Now customers could come in contact with things we produced 30 years ago that were produced in like, you know, Korean sizing under a license agreement. These sorts of conundrums and all the history of what luxury brands have been in the past now being visible alongside with their present iteration. That's something that can be quite problematic in terms of brands control over how they're perceived. Another issue that Chanel has raised in particular is the question of does having such a robust resale ecosystem increase the risk of counterfeits? Um, clearly, you have these sites putting a lot of effort and energy into authentication and verifying that everything is real. But the more work they do on that, of course, the more energy might get put by counterfeiters into making very sophisticated fakes. We've seen um, a huge court case in France with former Hermes employees who were caught in a multi-million dollar counterfeiting scheme making extremely accurate fake Birkins, for example. So that's really interesting because it kind of explains why some of the other luxury players have been a bit more reticent, almost combative in some situations in terms of the way they're dealing with this. You know, the Ch Chanel has had a long-standing legal battle with the real real in the US. And when asked about the resale sector uh, last year, Antoine Arnaud uh, of the CEO Berluti and you know Mr. Arnaud's son said they're still exploring it. But Caring's taken a much more bold forward-looking step at this saying, okay, well, if this is, if this sector is going to be around, we might as well be part of shaping it as opposed to just letting it develop without our involvement. So why do you think the other players are being more careful here? I think that Chanel has a unique positioning insofar as they are one of the only remaining luxury brands where true scarcity is still a part of their model insofar as they do not sell online. And if you don't have the resources or the time to go to a Chanel store in a major world capital, you won't be getting a Chanel bag. And that's um, part of how they have preserved the cachet of this brand over time. And so in the internet in general has always been problematic for Chanel trying to negotiate their relationship with e-commerce and social media. Now that we have online resale, it's just added a new complication where they're seeing people presenting their products, photographing them, pricing them in ways that don't necessarily align with the brand and how they want to be perceived. So they certainly have wanted to take the position that, um, that they are the only place you can buy guaranteed 100% authentic Chanel and anyone who's claiming that their resale products are that is, is not telling the truth is what they, they've tried to claim. That's been their argument, but um, Chanel has this issue, these issues with the internet in general. 
and resale has definitely added even more complications to that. LVMH, I think, is going to maybe take a more conservative stance into, than someone like Caring, but they have a mixed range of brands, a mix of reasons they would either want to get involved or not. I think it's still very much wait and see. To go back to Caring though, Caring has certainly a motivation to show that they are on top of this and to show that you know wherever the action is in fashion, they're making sure they have a seat at the table, that they have influence, and that they're supporting innovation, actually, because they position themselves as the most environmentally conscious luxury group, and they've been very vocal about their sustainability commitments. They probably can't square that with being quite as adversarial with resale, when we know that resale is is really positive for the environment in terms of ways to consume fashion. So that all makes sense. So you know, Robert, I, I think you're a Vestiaire Collective user. You know, all these brands seem to have such concerns, as you've outlined, about being present in that kind of environment, about the risk to their brand perception, about counterfeits. Like, from your own personal experience with Vestiaire Collective, like, what's it like as a, as a luxury customer, you know, engaging with that platform? You know, I am a Vestiaire Collective user. I got into it because of the fact that, you know, luxury fashion brands, they change so much from year to year. And sometimes the item or the category you're looking for is something that really is going to come from the past. So for me, it's the latest iteration of thrift store shopping and hunting in vintage stores. You know, Vestiaire Collective is the biggest resale platform in Europe. So the inventory kind of reflects the rich diversity of fashion that's been sold in European department stores and boutiques over the decades. You can really like spend hours sifting through various Missoni shirts from the 90s or um, Yves Saint Laurent Rive Gauche. But um, I'll tell you that there is a lot of friction in the process because sizing has changed so much over time. Um, the way products are labeled, the, what regions they might come from, various licensing deals that have evolved. You know, it's very hard to proceed with a purchase on resale, being sure that you're going to really get what you want unless you're looking for some of the most flagship popular items that people really know how to photograph and kind of package and explain in a sort of codified way. Got it. Okay, so Robert, I know it's a hard question, but how do you see this all developing over the next few years? You know, there's this growing concern about waste in the fashion industry and, you know, people have positioned resale as kind of helping the industry to become more circular. We're in a very difficult economic environment. People have less money in their bank accounts or some people have less money in their bank accounts and are being a bit more price conscious. You know, there's all sorts of reasons, tailwinds really for why this sector should explode over the coming years. You know, what do you see happening? I do see that there are gonna be more and more consumers who are willing to put the energy into finding clothes for their wardrobe on resale. It takes time and energy, but people are currently very concerned about the ethics of buying new clothes in light of the various scandals that have 
emerged about the way people are being treated in the supply chain, whether it's in cotton fields in China or in other regions where there's been child labor scandals. All of this is really in people's consciousness and it's a motivating factor to try to find things they like at second hand. On the other hand, um, I heard Maximilian saying in your conversation that he thought the model could be kind of scaled without limit because there are trillions of items in people's closets. There are trillions of items in people's closets, but a lot of them, they're not wearing them for a reason. And if you then really think, you know, how many people have a desirable item in their closet, something that someone would really want to buy and wear that they have and which they don't want anymore, and also which they have the time and energy to sell. I think when you think about that and, you know, what portion of your wardrobe would you be willing to try to monetize that people are actually interested in buying, you see that you know, sourcing the inventory for sites like Vestiaire Collective and The Real Real is going to continue to be a challenge. I was looking on there yesterday um, at Stone Island. I was thinking, wouldn't it be fun to have a Stone Island tracksuit? I wanted to get it at resale so that I'd feel comfortable rolling around in the park with it, you know, playing with my friend's dogs and not, you know, feel like I need to treat it like something really precious. A popular item like that can be very hard to find on resale. Whereas, like I said, you know, um, Missoni shirts from the 1990s, that is a bit easier. Cool. Well, they say that one person's junk is another person's treasure. So if, if Max at Vestier Collective and, you know, the Real Real and all of these companies manage to get people to empty their closets of their junk, maybe there'll be treasures to other people. We'll just have to wait and see. Don't miss Robert's BOF professional article on this landmark deal at businessoffashion.com. If you're not yet a BOF professional member, podcast listeners can benefit from a 25% discount on your first year of an annual membership using the code PODCASTPRO. That's podcast P-R-O. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Venetia Van Horn Alkama, Kate Vartan, and Kevin Bobby Blanco in the BOF studio team. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person, too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. (coughs) Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. 
The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. 